listening to the house of mercy on the water's edge was a man who met the savior so the gospel said waiting there he was with the lepers and the lame till an angel it was told down from heaven came folks tuned in from all around near and far just to listen to house of mercy waiting for the waters to stir we're just listening to the house of mercy waiting for the waters to stir. How has seeing made us blind? It fools us into thinking we know. That's a reading from Learning to Walk in the Dark by Barbara Brown Taylor. Yeah, hey, uh, everybody. Glad you all uh, tuned in uh, to listening to this uh, podcast. I hope you all are well. We got another Sunday service here. What's going on, Debbie? Well, I'm glad to see the sun is out. You know, glad for any, you know, warmth and beauty in the world right now. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, you know, I think everybody's thinking about it Tuesday, right? Yeah, it's, uh, I think, on my mind. Yeah, um, well, just prayer and meditation. I don't know what, uh, yeah. 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 What else can you say about it? Unless you just sit and, like you do when you talk to your brother on the phone, just you <laughs> rant about it for hours and hours. <laughs> Right. So I guess we don't need to do that because we're all doing plenty of that. But uh, yeah, I think yeah. that's a good choice. Let's not rant about it. No, that's just uh, all right. So cool. That's uh, so announcements then. Oh yeah. So tonight, um, you want to join a conversation about radical friendship? That would be great to have you there. Some of us have been watching the Ally Tour. Um, it's a conversation among. Uh, various people, Jen Hatmaker, Naughty Bolts, whatever, and then we've been having a discussion about it after church on Sundays. But you know what? If you haven't even watched that thing, just come and have a discussion. Um, so it's at 6 this evening. There's a link in the newsletter, and if for some reason you don't get the newsletter, um, you can email me, and I'll send you the link. And also, you can sign up for the newsletter by going to the website, and it's pretty easy. Yeah, scroll all the way down to the bottom of that first page you land on, and it's down there on the left. Uh, also, if you want to contact Debbie to ask her, whatever you, uh, it's Debbie at houseofmercy.org. That's right. All right, hey, Advent is coming, no matter what happens, no matter what situation the world is in. Um, the, we still, uh, in, Christmas is coming, Advent's coming. And uh, this year we're going to be doing an Advent podcast called Waiting for the World to Begin Again. It's an Advent podcast. And so we 
are asking for submissions. Anyone who'd like to write something, uh, three to seven minutes, poem, mini essay, uh, whatever song, um, on this theme, reflect on the theme of waiting for the world to begin again, because everyone is waiting, waiting for the world to end, a lot of talk about that, waiting for a vaccine, the end of the pandemic, the world to reopen, justice to prevail, some relief or something more. Um, so if you're interested, again, all the information in the newsletter, and these are going to be uh, every Thursday during the four weeks of Advent, right leading up to Christmas. So you can contact Russell at houseofmercy.org if you're interested to have any more questions. And hey, also, Christmas is coming up, and we are having a pageant. We are going to do a Zoom pageant. It'll be December 20th, and all the information will be forthcoming. Sure, it will be witty, funny, and heartwarming. Yeah, a lot of fun. You and your whole family, imagine you dressing all dressing up, saying your parts. Uh, even, uh, you know, your your grandma in Toledo could join in, you know, because it'll be... going to be great. That will be the benefit of the Zoom. So, um, yeah, so tell, tell grandma to get that uh, shepherd costume out and get ready to go. So, but just keep watching for that. Also, too, we are having a, a book study... That is going to begin in uh, the end of November. We're going to be studying this book that Zizek wrote uh, in during the pandemic. The beginning, it's just come out called uh, "Panic: COVID-19 Shakes the World," and it's his reflections on um, life in the pandemic and how it's changed and never, uh, never will change back. I guess so. It'll be good to talk about that and reflect on that. So that again in the newsletter, but you can contact me, russellhouseofmercy.org, and uh, of course that will be a Zoom book club. All right. Hey, what about the post-election House of Mercy semi-service? Yeah, we are going to November 15th, uh, so that November 15th, Sunday, 5 p.m. at House of Mercy on our humble lawn out there. Uh, we are, which might be covered with snow at the time, but we are going to meet no matter what the weather, because we figure by November 15th, we will all know, you know, things will either be on fire or, I don't know, we will be forgiving each other for whatever goes down. I don't know. seems like we want to come together and process this whole thing, no matter what happens. Um, it'll just be a semi-service, and there will be a little bit of music and a little bit of reflecting and talking but mostly it's going to be being together uh six feet apart there'll be uh fire pits and you know outdoor heaters yeah please come uh, plan on uh coming yeah i hope to see everyone there november 15th this is the house of mercy and welcome to it God of mercy, anxiety, tension, desperation, fear are all reminders that we cannot control the future and we can't live in it. We can only live here now, be here now with us so that we may breathe in your presence and exhale the anxiety of the unknown. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you all.
and also with you. House of Mercy Hymn 115, Standing in the Need of Prayer. My brother, no, my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, no, my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Won't you please join me now in the prayers of community? I'll end each prayer with Lord in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for peace and justice, and peace and mercy, and peace and forgiveness, and peace and love, and peace and healing. Whatever the outcome of Tuesday's election, let love lead our actions and mercy form our thoughts. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for healing for those who've contracted the COVID virus. Give them comfort, give them peace, heal their bodies. And we pray for those who are consumed with fear of contracting the virus. We pray for all of those who are in need of spiritual, emotional, or physical healing. We pray for those who are dying, overwhelmed with your presence. We pray for those who mourn, for those who are in prison, who are prisoners to addiction. We pray for those of us who struggle with mental illness and profound loneliness. 
We know that you are a healer, that your love and mercy and peace will surround us all. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, it seems more important now that we practice reconciliation, that we ask for forgiveness for all those in our lives that we have wronged or hurt by the things we have said or done or left unsaid. Bring us to a place where we make amends. Give us the strength to be vulnerable, to confess these things. We know that we've not loved you with all that we have. We know that you will judge us with your mercy and pronounce us forgiven. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those who are in power, that they would be compelled to act justly, to act not out of fear, but out of a sincere interest in the common good, that they would consider those who are most vulnerable. And we pray especially for the president, that he would not out, act out of fear or vitriol, but that he would be compelled to act justly. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, meet us now in this time of silence. May we now step forward in your mercy. Amen. Today's reading is from John chapter 9. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, 
This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. And they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner, but one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. The end of the reading. Thanks be to God. Sin is a pretty important topic in the Christian faith. People have different ideas about it. It's an individual's morally bad act, something more systematic, disorder, incompleteness. It's all Eve's fault. How you think of it probably affects how you live your life. I don't know what the Proud Boys think of sin, if they think of it. I think I know what MLK thought, what Cesar Chavez thought. Even if you don't use the word sin, what you think is bad, what's destructive to the world, what prevents human flourishing, it makes a difference. Some people don't find sin a helpful concept at all. We're animals. We're projections of the laws of physics. We're predetermined to do what we'll do. Sin is medieval. People used to believe in unicorns, too. But whether or not we use the word, I bet a lot of us are going to think a lot in the next few days about what's bad, what's wrecking the world. And I confess, I keep lurching toward thoughts and feelings that are, to put it mildly, not very pastoral. The story from John starts out illustrating a sort of assumed understanding of sin and ends up with Jesus upending that understanding. We didn't read all 41 verses, but it's a good story, a diverse cast of characters, witty dialogue. It ends up turning a weighty matter inside out. I like it. You should read the whole thing. In the beginning, the disciples assume that sin caused man to be blind. By the end, we learn it's better to be blind than to think you see, and it sounds like the believing you can see might be sin. Flippity-floppity. So Jesus and his disciples pass a man born blind. The disciples ask, who sinned, the man or his parents? Jesus says, neither. His contemporary readers, that doesn't really seem like a surprising answer. We know a lot more about science than they did. But I'm guessing 
lots of us still have questions about why bad things happen, whose fault it is. There was some argument back then that a fetus could maybe sit in the womb. Maybe the little man was really living it up in the womb, selfishly reveling in pure hedonism, sucking in the amniotic fluid like a little heroin addict. So he deserved to be born blind. Or maybe the sins of the parents are visited on the children. That actually seems like generally very true. Our parenting, our genes, genes, pretty much in spite of what we hope and try for, can damage our children. And certainly the sins of our ancestors, slavery, colonialism, chopping down all the trees, have consequences for generations. This isn't a story about the disciples asking stupid questions. Who sinned that this man suffers? I think it's more of an opportunity for Jesus to change the way people see, open them to some sort of transforming glimpse of something. Jesus bends down and gets some dirt and spits on it and kneads the dirt to make mud, reminiscent of how God made the human at creation from dirt. Then Jesus puts the mud on the guy's eyes and the man goes and washes the mud off and he can see. It's a very nice miracle. You feel happy for the man who gets his sight. But it also points to something, this is what these signs in John are all about, that affects everyone. The possibility of being made more fully alive, maybe. The miracle leads the Pharisees to accuse Jesus of sin because he breaks the Sabbath, another definition of sin, why bad things happen. That's not a stupid and ridiculous definition. The Sabbath is a beautiful thing to uphold and defend. A time for everyone to stop doing and working and striving so they can pause and pay attention to creation. And you know, clearly if we don't observe something like the Sabbath, if we don't protect it, it stops happening. Just look around, stores that never close, machinations that never stop, fossil fuels we never pause from burning. And we're like exterminating the world. The sixth extinction is upon us. The Sabbath, honoring God's creation, that's not a stupid idea. And taking some care about making sure people observe it is not bad. The Pharisees aren't bad people. They were good people. That they are bad surely isn't the point of the story. That would be so thin and unfruitful. It's true that the Pharisees don't come across as really very cool in this story. I mean, Jesus has been challenging their whole understanding of how things work. Sure, they're disturbed by that. I mean, what is it like to have someone suggest that the way you see things isn't right? The structures or systems that have ordered your world are harmful. Maybe the Pharisees are the kind of people that get upset by that. And the disciples are the kind of people that get excited by that. 
Because I think it can go either way, like emotionally or something. Like, wow, this feels explosively beautiful. Or, ah, this is upsetting. And probably people aren't ever purely Pharisee or purely disciple. Maybe it says something more really about how the Spirit of God works in the world, blowing in from time to time, opening our eyes to something we didn't see before. I really don't understand physics, but even my smallest mathematically challenged glimpses of it, the reality it describes, sometimes it seems so exciting and full of wild hope. Sometimes it kind of freaks me out. We go around more or less trusting our senses. So it might be exciting or troubling when the physicist points out that we're actually pretty much incapable of perceiving reality accurately. The deepest realities are hidden from human senses and defy our best intuitions. It's like you're blind, practically. Like, you're stuck in some ancient Newtonian physics conception of reality if you say you see. Newtonian physics described observable phenomena, but for over 400 years, physics have described a reality we can't perceive with our senses. Time is relative. Einstein discovered this 100 years ago, but we absolutely don't experience it as relative. I know I can't internalize that. We live under the persistent delusion that time is linear, moving forward, that there's a present, past, and future. But time's dependent on motion and gravity. There's a space-time continuum. There's nothing linear or universal about time. The Higgs boson particle. I might not even be pronouncing it right, but it's a different species of particle than has ever been known. It was long theorized, but not really proven until 2013. It suggests that the universe is filled with an invisible substance called the Higgs field. And as particles try to burrow through the environment, they feel a kind of resistance, which is where their heft and their mass comes in. Okay, it's like this. Fish swim in the ocean. Their whole reality is swimming around in the substance, which definitely affects tons. But they're not aware that their universe is filled with the substance. Though it affects everything. Water is so familiar to them, they experience it as emptiness. So it is with us, too. We live in an environment that is suffused with an essentially invisible something. We experience our interactions with it all the time, but we don't perceive it at all. This is why some people call it the God particle. I like this a lot, even though though I don't really understand it. And I really don't understand how fish experience the world either, but this whole thing can be disturbing or exciting. But my point is, if we think we see, we are pretty blind. In terms of actual physical reality, and I think probably every other level of reality, whatever reality even is. I really don't think Jesus is usually just like trying to condemn people with certain stances or backgrounds or personalities like the Pharisees. Or, I mean, I can make a long list of personalities I might tend to condemn. I think what he's doing is both more disturbing or disruptive and more wonderful 
and hopeful. It's like taking the ground we're used to walking out from under us. And only as it breaks do we begin to glimpse something much more astounding and merciful. If you were blind, you would not have sin, says Jesus. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. I can totally believe that not recognizing our blindness contributes to violence and destruction. And that's actually not at all new to any sort of practicing mystic type. Before Newtonian physics, before Einstein, a thousand years before Newton lived, the rule, the first rule of St. Benedict, denounce the illusion that the meaning of life can be learned. A lot of ancient traditions talk about the third eye. There, there's the first eye, sensory input, second eye, reason, meditation, reflection. The third eye, the third eye knows not to think it knows. It doesn't mistake information or knowledge gathered with the truth, which has the capacity to transform consciousness itself to something beyond seeing in dualities, binaries, beyond dividing everything into oppositions, liberal versus conservative, Democrat versus Republican, good versus bad. It's not an us and them sort of scene. And it might not be ridiculous to say that this us and them scene is the foundation of almost all the hate and fear and not love, all the violence in the world. Denounce the delusion that you know. There's a way in which this is deeply relaxing and freeing, but it's also obviously disturbing. Barbara Brown Taylor talks about a blind man who writes about how much people who can see, let's say conventionally, miss. With practice, he learned to attend so carefully to the world around him he could tell trees apart by their sounds. The problem with seeing the regular way is that sight naturally prefers outer appearances. It attends to the surface of things, which makes it an essentially superficial sense. Our eyes are too quick to judge, gliding over things so quickly we don't properly attend to them. How has seeing made us blind? It fools us into thinking we know. We think we can judge people? We think we see? I know I do, ask Jim. And I can believe that is what the harmful, destructive, not loving my neighbor sorts of things grow out of. I'm probably pretty blind. And in this, there's all sorts of room for hope. Maybe there are parallel universes in which the sixth extinction is not underway. Maybe God's love is more real than anything that happens in the upcoming elections. And people can still flourish and love each other and care for creation, even if Trump wins, even if there's election chaos. Maybe the most real thing is that fear and judgment lead to hate and violence and mercy leads to love. 
Jesus wants us to believe in him because he loves us. And we would miss out on something so kind and lively and freeing if we believed in our own sight and judgment. They are so unkind in comparison to God's love. This is going to be a hard week ahead. When you encounter people in the streets or at the polls, it might help to remember God loves them. Remember the third eye. Trust in the recreation, transformation, the transformation that Jesus makes possible. May the peace of Christ be with you. This is the Lord's table, and all are welcome. On the night before he suffered, our Lord took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after the meal, he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of all sin. As often as you do this, do so in remembrance of me. Amen. House of Mercy Hymn 132, where we'll never grow old. I have heard of a land on the faraway strand. Tis a beautiful home of the soul. Built by Jesus on high. There will never shall die, tis a land where we'll never grow old. Never grow old, never grow old, in a land where we'll never grow old. Never grow old, never grow old, in a land where we'll never shall be in that sweet by and by. Happy praise to the King, through eternity sing, tis a land where we'll never shall die. Never May we move into this week compelled by the God of creation, recreation, and love. Amen.